Oh, hello. How can I... Oh. C Calvin Weaver? Uh, and I'm sorry, I haven't had the pleasure. Shayna. I am the proprietor of this establishment. Welcome. Um, look, Mr. Weaver, I don't believe you've been in here before, but I want to make absolutely certain you understand the rules of the cellar. As a Grey Haven, we don't permit any weaving down here. Things are quiet and symmetrical, and we like to keep them that way. Now, um, what'll you have? A Woman with Hollow Eyes was the first Twitch stream of Invisible Sun, before the game was even released. I know that I speak for many fans of Invisible Sun when I say that, for me, this show first broke open the possibilities of what a surreal role-playing game could be. I was already sold on Invisible Sun as a game, but honestly I was nervous that a surreal setting might just be so weird, so unmoored from actual life experience, that connected, emotional human stories might remain out of reach. A Woman with Hollow Eyes utterly destroyed that fear. GM Darcy Ross and players James D'Amato, Cat Cool, and Alan Linick were brilliant as players and improv actors, but also as interpreters who could bring this daunting, intimidating thing near and wrap my heart up in it. I have fond memories of season one, and a Kickstarter for season two is just wrapping up. Tonight, it's my absolute honor to host returning player James D'Amato and new cast member Adira Slattery here in the cellar. I'm also introducing a new segment tonight, The Daily Special, in which I talk about something which has inspired me lately. Tonight I'm keeping it Invisible Sun and talking with Jess Meyer about the work she's been doing on unlocking the secrets contained in the Black Cube. Don't worry, the segment will be spoiler-free. But now, let's join James and Adira for Vizsla's Call. You're new. You're new here. I haven't seen you in the actuality before. I'm Adira Slattery. Hello. Ah, Adira Slattery. Welcome to the show. What are you? What are you drinking tonight? Yeah, it's a raspberry Coke. You can get them in like bottles now at Target, and it's really great. Ah, uh, is this the thing? There's like the raspberry Coke, and then there's like the Georgia peach Coke next to it. Is this that same? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is that same thing. I've tried the peach one, but not. The, how's the raspberry one? The raspberry one's really good. Ah. <sighs> okay. I'm stopping on the way home. That's that. That looks wonderful. Uh, you 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 have a friend with you who also has a beverage. Yeah. Hey there. Oh, hello. What what are you drinking tonight? Um, I am. I think I'm going to call it a dark indigo. Mm. It's it's rum with creme de violette, a dash of frenet, and lavender and chocolate bitters. Wow. <sighs> James D'Amato, you have just classed this joint up. I'm jealous. I wish I could be sharing one of those with you. Oh, please. This place was always classy. Well, thank you. I have in front of me, and it's just tea, but it's an organic peachy green tea, says the label, a refreshing blend of green and black teas with flowery peach and delicate cucumber notes with other natural flavors. It's a nice pick-me-up. It's good. For those who are listening and don't know, Adira Slattery and James D'Amato are going to be starring in Woman with Hollow Eyes Season 2, which is kickstarting now and coming soon? Yeah. When? What's going on? It should be coming out in February, actually. Mm -hmm. I can pull up my production calendar while we talk. Ooh and that has our premiere set to be February 12th. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. It's like a birthday gift to me. I'm turning 40, like, right about now. And, uh, man, I'm so excited for this show. 
February 12th is my birthday. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, well, happy birthday. February birthdays. We are, we are rocking it. Yeah. Happy birthday is all around. So I would like to hear a little from you, Adira. First, I don't know anything about your background with Invisible Sun. Have you played before or are you, as James did going into season one, just diving in? Yeah, I'm just diving in. Darcy sent me some information about it and I read the key in like 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's really great. It's got a lot of different things that I really enjoy in a lot of the different role-playing games that I really like. It's got a very sort of surrealist sense about it that I enjoy. It very much allows for open building in the world and creating. It draws and like relates to a lot of different media that I've consumed, like Nine Princes of Amber from Roger Lasney and things like that. Yeah. A good pairing to this podcast is a, a recent episode of Incantations from Dr. Scott Robinson and Dave Hamlin uh, is interviewing Darcy Ross, who's going to be GMing the season. And one thing that she mentioned in there when raving about her excitement about having you as a new player was that surrealism and surrealist art is close to your heart. So what is it about surrealism or that philosophy or aesthetic that attracts you to it? Hmm. I think. The best sort of answer to it is one that would likely be a very surreal answer to it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if you're going to be really looking a lot at surrealism and things like that, you really have to consider just sort of the meat and the bones of the genre. And I just recently unpacked a slow cooker that <laughs> I have never unpacked since I got married. And I've been making a lot, a lot of different meat dishes in it. Nice. And it's been bringing me a lot of joy. And it's just sort of whole and hearty and just sort of spirit warming yeah. in a way that surrealism feels to me as well. Ah, Deeply invisible sun. That was a perfect synesthetic and surrealist answer and perfect for this environment. Thank you. James, I'm curious from you, when you launched headlong into Invisible Sun first season, <laughs> for you and all the players and also Darcy as the GM, it wasn't a known quantity yet at all. Like the thing didn't even exist and hadn't been released in final form and documentation and understanding of it was all patchy. So I'm curious what you learned from season one and how you might be approaching season two a little differently now that you're both personally familiar with it. And also now that it's kind of a, a real thing that's out there. For sure. For sure. I mean, gosh, there's so much. When Darcy first brought the idea of doing an Invisible Sun pod, uh, like not even podcast, <laughs> Darcy brought Invisible Sun when she came in alongside Mika to do one of our board game streams. Uh, she brought up this Kickstarter and she wasn't working for MCG at this point. And she just said, you know, check out this weird game. Yeah. I would really like to do something with this, but Mika and I cannot afford it. I had heard about Invisible Sun. There, there were people talking about it on Twitter, uh, and there were a lot of people going like, oh, you know, this game is so expensive. How right. can people know that they want to dive into it without you know, seeing it or even knowing what it is because mm -hmm. secrets were very much the marketing theme that MCG was going with. Yes. 
And, you know, our core mission here over at OneShot is to make role-playing accessible. And that's not just accessible to people who, you know, haven't played a role-playing game before and don't know what it is and, and might discover it through actual play. I think that's also creating accessibility for games like this by unveiling some of those secrets, showing people what Invisible Sun is so that they can make decisions. So I agreed, yeah, whatever the cost of the game is, it's the sort of thing where we want people to be able to see it here and we want to pull back part of that veil so people feel like they know what it is. And then a bunch of time passed and the Kickstarter was about to fulfill and, and Darcy got hired and <laughs> I was still kind of thrown into the deep end of things because by the time we were starting, we still didn't have the books. Um, right. And <laughs> Darcy, like had a vague idea of like what we as players were supposed to read yeah and and what we weren't and she knew the general structure of the game so i didn't really learn anything about invisible sun until we did that initial stream for a woman with hollow eyes where we did our world building and, and character creation. Yeah. And I feel like I learned a lot about the game mechanically and sort of how diverse and, and, and robust it is. And the fact that there are just so many different pathways that you can sink yourself down into, both as a storyteller and a mechanics gratified player, somebody who really likes to think about the crunchy aspects of games. Yeah. So I came out the other side of that experience realizing the thing that I loved most about it was the stuff that stemmed from that character creation session in that we took this very strange abstract world and we created small problems in it. Um, mm -hmm. But by the end of that first season, I think Darcy mentioned this in another interview that she did. Our characters were very powerful. We, we had advanced quite a bit. And going into this new season, like I still have Calvin at that same power level. But I feel like the things that are going to compel me are, are going to be interpersonal relationships and how they develop and, you know, dealing with small issues. I feel like Calvin is a character more interested in figuring out a way to, like, fill sound holes uh, yes. than he is a character who, like, wants to... I, I don't know, uh, take down important political figures or whatnot. So, like, the power level of the game... It doesn't doesn't matter so much because there are so many ways that Invisible Sun makes you have fun with the mundane aspects of, of our real world, or I suppose our shadow world. Calvin is, I think, still very much concerned about his civic life in, in Saturine as much as he is with his like overall goal of like building a universe. <laughs> it's nice to have those those little things like building a universe available while you're trying to solve the big problems in the world. So yeah. Yeah, maintaining relationships. <laughs> yeah, universes aren't hard. Yeah, exactly. Related, and maybe this is a great segue, but I've heard that your like minor hope, Adira, is going to be to, you know, like take down the triumvirate. Yeah. What uh what's what's going on over there? Can you tell us anything about your upcoming character? Yeah. Yeah. So coming in and talking a bunch with James and with Darcy about the general sort of goal and direction for season two. I was thinking a lot about the different sorts of characters that I could play. I was heavily drawn to the apostate. I uh, just got a cool ass character sheet and a great general sort of aesthetic. 
And that just sort of kept me thinking about oppositional forces and oppositional things in life. And it's interesting to me the most when you're dealing with relationships and dealing with maintaining those relationships while a lot of other things are still sort of happening and the world is changing Mm -hmm. in a way that can create those relationships be different. And especially failing to change the world, I think, is a great way to sort of view the lens of relationships. I'm a big (laughs) proponent of the sort of mantra, failure is fun. So I'm, I'm under no illusions that this character will be able to succeed in her goals to take down the triumvirate. But I think we'll be fine. Delvin thinks you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I am excited to watch the general sort of journey and how that relates to like she views the world and how she views other people because of that. Um, yeah. That's exciting because it sounds as though the, the cast is a bit smaller. It's really just you two as main characters. Mm-hmm. There may be other cameos. And then also the season itself is going to be shorter and kind of a, a little bit more tightly focused. So yeah. Yeah. This is five episodes as opposed to the wow. 10 plus that we did last season. We, <laughs> we promised 10 and we did, we did like 12. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, plus all the background stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you think that that's going to affect the narrative? I, I think what season two does, especially by reducing the cast and reducing the number of episodes that we're doing is it focuses down to telling one core story. Season one felt like the amount of plot hooks and whatnot that we generated, it felt like we could have supported a much longer campaign. Yes. And, you know, Darcy has mentioned a couple times that she felt like, oh, it would have been cool to explore this in more ways or, or if this got more screen time. And, you know, I, I agree. But like as somebody who has made a career in doing one shots and telling very focused stories, I think there is something to be said into like narrowing down to try and express one story and through that communicate a lot of different ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a really big fan of the general sort of like storytelling tools and things that a lot of places are going now in games with like flashbacks and blades in the dark and things like that, Mm -hmm. where you show the things that are interesting Mm -hmm. and you show the sort of tightly focused story that creates the engagement and the interest the whole time you're playing. And like, you could go off on all these different tangents, but you could also just sort of focus on what you're doing and those specific relationships. That's something I'm very much learning. I'm younger as a GM and, you know, I was running Truth Bleeds at Twilight Invisible Sun narrative over the summer, which was eight episodes. And from the beginning, we were kind of concerned with how do you strike a balance in Invisible Sun land between this player agency and let things go where they're supposed to go. But also like you have an arc and a limited number of episodes and you have to tell a story. And we got to about episode five (laughs) and Ian, with whom I was co-GMing, we were looking at like all of the crazy arcs that had opened. And it was just this like, oh my gosh, like we have three episodes left (laughs) to try to figure out how to tell something like one cohesive story by the time this all ends. and. I think we we did it, but I felt like we let things get too wide and then had to pull them in too abruptly at the end. So we ended up cutting off some really good things in order to sort of try to preserve that central arc. So I'm still learning how to do that. <laughs> and, and that's something that you you struggle with 
no matter what game you're playing and yeah. pretty much throughout your your whole life you know yeah. <laughs> when you think of it by the time we were doing a woman with hollow eyes cat and i had been doing this sort of storytelling in a professional mm-hmm. capacity for four years <laughs> And we still felt like towards the end of that game, goodness, we really got to investigate Wayne's story. We really got to investigate parts of Calvin's story. Uh, and a lot of that was revealed in like the last four episodes. Yeah. And and we barely got to touch on Kitty's story, even though she got to do a lot of Kitty stuff. So it's hard to contain something like Invisible Sun, Mm -hmm. uh, partially because it's a game that aspires to exploration. Yes. Um, Players are allowed to create their own arcs and goals, Mm -hmm. which means that each each character sheet might have up to two or three different things that the character is working on at the same time. Also, possibly on top of that, some story arcs that are like supposed to kind of be where the whole group is going while each individual character has their own arcs. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so much to juggle. And I think part of it is that, you know, maybe if you're doing a five or or even a 10 episode spread, you're not fully investigating a character story. What you are doing because you have those diverse character arcs is you're bringing fully realized characters who are more than just the snippet that we see of them through a single story. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that actually works pretty well. That is really insightful. Yeah. Well, there's a reason I get paid the small bucks for what I do. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> My background prior to this was it was basically like D&D and then Numenera and then, you know, Invisible Sun are like the products that I've spent a lot of time with in telling stories. And it's really interesting just to find all the new ways that you learn about both being a GM and being a player in each different system and how they feed into making you better at those things in other new systems as you play them. It's really exciting. Yeah, for sure. I first picked up a D&D book when I was seven. Oh, goodness. You've got me back for sure. (laughs) (laughs) What what edition was that? It was Red Book. Um, (laughs) Yes. So I've I've played every edition of D&D. That's awesome. I've run every edition of D&D. I've played and run so many different games and every different game brings its own sort of specific little like spice and bent that are all just so great. And it's really great to just sort of like lean into that sometimes. And like Invisible Sun has all of this just sort of excess and like expansive world and all these cards and books and cool hands Uh, and all this stuff that is just so cool to like see all of it and like create interesting stories with all of it. Yeah, I, I love the the core ethos of ritual. Yeah. That's yeah. at the center of Invisible Sun. It's such a neat nod to to things that are going on. And like obviously, you know, that there was a an issue in, in gaming with with the appearance of ritual or people, you know, not understanding or interpreting exactly what we're doing. But the way Invisible Sun cultivates an atmosphere really adds to the play experience in an interesting way. And, you know, I'm sure you could accomplish that without having a resin hand in the middle of the table. Yeah, but, but like ha- having that is fun. Yeah, resin hands are neat. 
<laughs> Especially when they have six fingers. Yeah. I think my favorite thing is that that sense of ritual gets carried out both in the metagame and out of character and then also, you know, down in the game. Like, it blows my mind and makes me so happy that every Vizlay except the apostates, sorry, apostates that are walking around have a Testament of Sons, which is the little hand on their person as they walk through the game. You know, apostates have their their crystal, their virtual akata or whatnot. But mm-hmm. then we've all got the hand in the middle of the table. And then Vizlay are literally carrying around Sooth decks upon them as a way to sort of divine where magic is flowing and what it, how it's moving in the world. And then we're doing the same thing one level up. And that sense of Inception-y meta layers going down in the ritual of stopping to take a moment and stand up and pull out a card and place it on the path of suns in the middle of the game causes that moment of breath and silence. I don't know. Again, it's that feeling of real, real ritual that also then makes its way into the suspense and the drama of the story. And so beautiful. Can I be real with y'all? Yeah. Yeah. I am just now learning that our characters are supposed to be carrying around testaments of sun with them. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Yeah. That could be a fun thing that Calvin gets to discover in season two. Wow. <laughs> Let me geek out on the mechanics for a moment because it's neat. Yeah. Your testament of sons, you know, dangles around your neck or like wherever you have mm-hmm. it on your person, but it actually absorbs your energies over time and like gets flavored like you. Talk to Darcy about this because at this point, every crux that you earn over time, there are thresholds where it's like after your character has earned four crux in total or nine crux in total or whatever, the virtual Akata or the, sorry, the Testament of Sons is what all the characters from the orders have. Virtual Akata mm-hmm. is the name that the apostates give to their own weird one because they just reject the Testament. Well, they reject that section of the Testament that's the orders. They only reject one of the fingers. That's why it's still made up with the right. same syllables, just in a different order. Oh, you're right. Because the Testament of Sons is also based around those symbols. Right. Ah, so cool. Yeah, for all the players over time, the GM assigns a power at a certain level to your testament based on how you've been playing. And it works for you as long as you have that on your person. But if it gets broken or taken away from you, you don't have that power anymore. Oh my goodness. I I love that I didn't know that. And I love that I get to discover that uh, this <laughs> season. It feels... It feels very true to the character. Yeah, it does. It was such a good choice to be starting off with Calvin as this deeply powerful, but totally wide-eyed, naive person who could be discovering things along with all of us that has played out so well. It's so good. Yes, that was absolutely intentional because we were playing Invisible Sun. We were the first stream uh, Mm -hmm. that, that you saw with Invisible Sun stuff in it, even before Monty Cook Games. Yeah. got in that game so i wanted to create a character who was an audience surrogate and you know that is specifically against the advice the game gives you but (laughs) i I really like you're not supposed to have just emerged from shadow or, or mostly be a shadow person coming into actuality but i needed us to have an excuse to explain all of the cool stuff that was happening mm-hmm. and you know i have to credit cat and alan they did such a good job of playing off all of the buckwild stuff that was happening <laughs> like in a totally blase like yeah we've heard it all before uh, somebody tweeted a screenshot from The Good Place recently about GD watching the universes fold in on themselves uh, like thousands of sheets of metal. (laughs) And Michael says, oh, yes, the time knife. We all know the time knife. And it's... (laughs) (laughs) that's how invisible sun feels on so many levels it's like yeah you have these characters who 
you put in all this work to create this buckwild, mind-bending imagery, and these characters are people who live with that kind of thing every day. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. And I, I love, uh, in, in many ways, like playing the straight man and playing uh, the wild card character in that Calvin doesn't know that. He's not comfortable with that, and he will question it and call it out so that the audience gets to learn about this cool world. Yeah. Oh, that's real good. Gamers Giving is a 501c3 charity by gamers for gamers. They focus the generosity and resources of the gaming community to help other gamers in need. I just learned about a specific aspect of their outreach, a traveling game library, which they take around to various conventions in the Denver area. Nearly 600 games, free to play, which generates interest, helps support the gaming scene, and draws attention to their cause. They even have pre-generated character sheets set up, so if you and some friends want to jump into an RPG you've never tried, you can get right to it. Take a look at their online community, facebook.com slash gamersgiving, and consider how you might pitch in, financially, or with your time, or just joining and being a positive, supportive, and creative community member. My deepest thanks to Gamers Giving for sponsoring this episode. So we are nearing the end of the time that we have, but I heard through the grapevine that Calvin is a reader of the Crepuscule Notion in character. That was very exciting, you know, to all of us Notionites. But um, I asked around in the Notion Slack and just got a couple of questions that I want to kind of rapid fire at you from the audience, if you have a few moments for that. As the character or the player? Who? <laughs> well, Ooh, yeah. I think, these, let me check it. Let me see about the questions. These questions... Yeah, these questions are all aimed at you, James D'Amato, and you, Adira Slattery. Not okay. so much at the character. Okay. I got questions. So first of all, Ken Davidson asks James when we can expect to see a Calvin cosplay. That will depend on my ability to find a tailor who can do bespoke work in Chicago and the proper tweed that I would need to create Calvin's outfit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important. You also need to have uh, birds, like, eternally escaping from you. Yeah. I really need a tailor who can make clothes that will occasionally turn into birds. Chicago has a lot available. You You should be able to find that. Yeah, I'm sure we got a guy. It's a big city. Ask around, see what we can find. Uh, Ken also asked, but you kind of answered this already in our conversation. I'm curious how plugged in James is on the lore, or if he as a player is also learning through play. I am definitely learning through play. (laughs) I know almost nothing. And part of that is just I, y'all, I have to learn about a lot of games. Uh, There's a lot to juggle up there and not much room. But the other thing is I do want to play Calvin true to himself. And if I really indulge in learning about this world and reading through those books, then there is the potential that I won't ask a question that somebody in the audience needs me to ask. So right, yeah, I, I try to stay pure on that. Like, like uh, learning, learning about the Testament of Sons, I will indeed have to find that on Calvin's person and ask questions about it so that everybody gets to discover that while they watch A Woman with Hollow Eyes. Adira, Evan Saft asks, what excites you most about your character? What excites me most about my character? 
This is a tough question. Probably what excites me most is her name. It's a fun name, and I like it. And <laughs> I don't know it. Can you tell us? Yeah, her name is Shayna Zman. Okay. And I haven't played that many characters whose names start with S, um, <laughs> but all of them I've really liked. You know, I've liked basically every person I've ever met from Australia. So if I'm allowed to generalize, I just assume it's an island. So if all characters that have names that begin with S have been enjoyable to you, I hope that this proves to continue the pattern. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Question from Gavin Kimi. Season one had a remarkable level of audience participation in the story. Is there anything you particularly hope that season two generates in that regard? Boy, it's so hard to hope for anything specific because the way in which the audience influenced last season were were truly remarkable. Obviously, we're doing a smaller season. Uh, mm -hmm. There are fewer people backing this one, so we won't have as vast a pool, but we, we also have less time to feature things. But, you know, w w when you think about some of the amazing moments and characters that came out of season one, I think about things like Agamemnon Butler, who... Oh my goodness! That was a character. That was a character suggested <laughs> by a listener, by by somebody who backed us on Kickstarter. And you think about Aria Loha, mm -hmm. like that also wow. was, was somebody who who directly came from these suggestions that we got from listeners. So I, I think one of the things that the collaboration with the audience did for A Woman with Hollow Eyes is really help us stay true to the idea of a surprising, surreal world. You know, th there were things that we at the table would not have thought of and, and could not have thought of because we were collaborating with people from the outside who could just drop these wild twists in front of us and we had to, to deal with them and react to them. So I'm just hoping for more of the same from, from the audience. Yeah, that's good. Follow-up question from Gavin. Truth Bleeds at Twilight dabbled in cross-pollination with The Raven Wants What You Have. Any hope of similar from A Woman with Hollow Eyes? That sentence on my screen was filled with so many letters, I was tripping all over the acronyms, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say we would love to do some crossover stuff, but I, I don't think it's been confirmed on the MCG side. You know, I have aspirations and, and machinations, but uh, it, it takes a lot to coordinate. But, you know, we're open to shared universes. I, I think one of the problems that idea presents is, you know, Calvin is just kind of a wrecking ball of a character. <laughs> and, you know, especially the person that Adira is, is going to be bringing in, like, we're going to break some things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is known already. So I, I like I don't want to ruin somebody else's game or somebody else's universe with with my nonsense. Um, sure. So, you know, we'll work out a way to do something. I would be excited to collaborate with anyone. Think of it as enriching, not ruining. <laughs> we enrich it. Let me enrich this glass vase. That is so delicately balanced. Exactly. It's, it's far too symmetrical right now. Now it's more things. Yeah, many, many things. We were all giggling to ourselves because 
the Secrets of Silent Streets just came out yesterday, which is a whole bunch of new stuff from Monticote Games about new things to be found in the city of Saturine. And we were really excited to see all the characters from Raven Once, what you have like statted out in there. Like the Cicatrix is a person you can meet as you walk around in Saturine now, <laughs> as are the other characters. And that was rad because it was just like, cool, open invitation to have her wander into our game as an NPC. I thought that was pretty cool. The final set of questions, which are possibly the most important from this particular crazed fan base. James, what's your best hashtag flirt squad move from Ken Davidson, of course, and follow up for Adira. When are you joining hashtag flirt squad from Ian Smith? Boy, what's the best hashtag flirt squad move? Um, You know, I think the best hashtag flirt squad move is the thing that makes flirt squad work in the first place. And that is the genuine and enthusiastic complimenting of other people who are, you know, so brave and generous to share pictures of themselves with everybody else on the flirt squad. Humans are beautiful. I just, I'm just saying. I mean, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> humans are pretty cool, but I, I, I think Flirt Squad sort of exemplifies the, the one of the redeeming qualities that exists within humanity in its unreserved enthusiasm and kindness to encourage other people and you know, share that you appreciate people. And the thing that really makes Flirt Squad beautiful and makes it work is the fact that when people put something out there with that hashtag, there are people who will come back to them and help them see parts of themselves that maybe they don't appreciate. And I think that's great. It always makes me feel really good when people like or, or comment on a photo that I post under that hashtag. So I'm glad that that is out there for people. So, um, sometimes pictures on the internet can be incredibly fraught. Um, yeah, as a, as like a, as a trans person, it's pretty hard to sort of like get that sort of like initial step to view yourself in a way that would make you sort of like feel like that other people would even want to look at the pictures. Sure. But it's really nice that people want to know if I'm going to do this. <laughs> and I don't know if there's some application process, but. <laughs> I mean, it is literally tweeting a picture with that hashtag. And I am happy to say that there are plenty of trans and non-binary folks who are already proud members of the Flirt Squad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the things that makes me really happy about it and just like really happy to see it. And I might do it. Yeah. Well, there we go. Ah, if you do, that would be lovely and welcomed. Cool. So good. Yeah. And then I was just going to close. Can you each tell me and the viewers just a bit about who you are and what you do and where we can find you should either leading up to season two or in other respects, should people want to follow you or see more about what you're working on? Mm -hmm. Adira, you kicked us off. Why don't you go first? So, yeah, uh, I'm Adira Slattery. You can find me on Twitter or by Googling the words Adira Slattery. I'm the only one in the world. That's pretty nice. That I've found so far. <laughs> Basically, all of the first page of Google results is me, which is kind of both fun and not fun. Every Adira Slattery I've ever met has been cool. So if I can generalize. Cool. Awesome. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And feel free, please. <laughs> yeah. I keep being like, oh, I'm going to finally put up all of the different games 
and things that I've written in like a consistent place so that like people can play RPGs that I've written and LARPs that I've helped write as opposed to just sort of playing them at conventions. And I keep not doing it, but I'm going to do it. And you'll find out when and where that happens if you look at my Twitter. So follow me at Adiris Lannery. And if you want to find all of the wonderful actual play things that we do, uh, mm-hmm. you can head over to oneshotpodcast.com, where you can actually find actual play where Adira and I have worked together before. Yeah. We played Avery Alder's A Dream Apart, I believe, is the name of the game. Yeah, Avery uh, Alder and Benjamin which, Rosenbaum. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That was right. That was Ben's part of that collaboration. It was a fascinating game where I learned a lot and Adira and all of the other wonderful players at the table really got to shine. I think it was fantastic. If you are a fan of A Woman With Hollow Eyes and you are wondering, how is this season going to go? I think listening to that episode is going to make you feel very good about the directions that, that we're going to head. You can also find other wonderful programs there, like the Campaign Podcast, which is something that I have put a lot of effort into and I hope people appreciate. And you can find everything that we list over on that website on whatever podcatcher or, or podcast application you, you like to use. And if you want to talk to me specifically, you can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Um, and I'm always happy to talk to people there. Wonderful. Oh, and of course, I should mention our Twitch channel where, where <laughs> A Woman With All Eyes Season 2 is going to premiere. That is twitch.tv slash OneShotRPG. Mm-hmm. If you decide to follow the channel, you will be notified every time we go live. We're primarily going to be going live for A Woman With All Eyes Season 2 and for our other board game-oriented stream, TPK, which is a stream where we play Gloomhaven. And it is very silly and a mm-hmm. lot of fun. And just a dense, a dense collection of inside jokes at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so please follow us there, and we look forward to entertaining. Yeah. So finally, finally, if people rush over to the Kickstarter right now and like pledge some stuff for season two, what's the next stretch goal that you have coming up that people will be contributing toward? Alan. Yes, Alan Linick. Alan Linick. Goodness, if you watched, I mean, uh, like uh, listeners of The Secret Seller already know Alan Linick because he was a guest and he talked about his character Wayne from from season mm-hmm. one of A Woman With Hollow Eyes on this show before. But Alan is one of the most genuine and, and talented people that I have had the fortune of knowing in, in my life as a performer here in Chicago. Alan recently got cast on Saturday Night Live as a writer, and he is working tremendously hard and doing so many wonderful things over with that organization. Uh, And that means he's not in Chicago anymore because he's in New York. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't join us for the season, but he loves role playing and does not have the opportunity to role play much because his schedule is so packed. But He loved working on A Woman With Hollow Eyes and wants to return in any capacity he can. So we added a stretch goal at $5,000. We'll be doing a podcast series that will come out on the A Woman With Hollow Eyes podcast feed where you can already find our uh, remastered version of season one right now. It's not complete, but it is still coming out. 
he will do a limited podcast series with us. That way we can sort of record without having to keep any sort of regular schedule and accommodate him. And it'll give him an opportunity to role play and return to the wonderful universe of Invisible Sun. If we could hit that stretch goal, it would make me very happy because it would mean uh, that I get to work with Alan again. Mm -hmm. And I know it would, <sighs> Alan would be over the moon. So please, if you haven't already, if you were a fan of season one, if you're a fan of Alan in general, please back. He's so talented. I, I can't wait to see what he does with Adira and Darcy as we sort of incorporate his talent into what we're doing with season two. Yeah, that's only $800 away. Yeah, real close. Yeah, we're very close. Yeah. <laughs> so exciting. So Alan was in fact on episode three of The Secret Seller and not shockingly was so gracious and smart and funny and I just had a wonderful time talking and he's really talking about kind of his experience as a player on season one. So that's also a great pairing to this podcast. I thank you both so much. It was just lovely having you here. Thank you for your time and good luck in the remaining days of the Kickstarter. And I just can't wait to see the terrible worlds that you disasymmetrize or whatever else you do in the show. It's going to be really, really fun. We're, we're just going to make things better. That, that's what you need to think about. I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you seriously so much for having us. It was a delight to be here. And I, I hope uh, that your listeners come and check us out. Yes. yes. I hope so, too. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Good night. And yeah. uh, may you find freedom from shadow. If you enjoyed this interview, you should absolutely go back and give episode three, which features Alan Linick talking about his time as a player on season one, a listen. And then also episode 73 of Incantations podcast, where Scott and Dave talk with Darcy about her experiences GMing the show and how she'll be approaching season two. We are down to 46 hours left on the Kickstarter, and as I write this, the $5,000 Alan Linick stretch goal is exactly $600 away. If you loved season one as much as I did, please wander over and back it if you're able. I have a special proposition for you. A few of us in the Notion Slack are pooling our pledges together, hoping to pledge at least one of the larger levels that has a greater impact on the story, perhaps describing an ephemera or a monument that's guaranteed to make its way into the plot rather than the lower pledge levels, which are randomly chosen. If you'd like to take part, email meet.me at zeros.bar Find me on Twitter at underscore secret seller underscore and let me know. All contributors will collaborate with the Women with Hollow Eyes team to build an influential part of the story. Now, the Black Cube is, as you know, full of secrets. For tonight's daily special, I've invited Jess Meyer to stop in and talk about some of her work on the mysterious sigils found in and throughout the cube and the books. So Jess Burst of Hope Meyer, I'm going to start by reading a tweet at you. Guess who's not sleeping tonight because there's new Invisible Sun content to add to her whimsy murder board. Hashtag Invisible Sun RPG. <laughs> what is going on out there? <laughs> oh, there is so much happening. Just so much in this world. We don't even know. <laughs> this world and other worlds and greater worlds and worlds which wrap worlds and worlds. So true indeed first of all who who are you i got to know you well through darcy ross because that's how lots of people get to know lots of people at gen con last year a bit 
and then you were on Truth Bleeds at Twilight earlier this year. But you've been all over the internet the last couple of months doing all kinds of things. Yeah, it's been a wild ride since Gen Con for sure. Uh, my name is Jess Meyer. You can find me on Twitter at Burst of Hope. And uh, yep, lots of Numenera, lots of Monty Cook game goodness, and most recently, Invisible Sun. So it's been really interesting to meet a whole lot of people at the table on the internet. So good. And you've been uh, playing first and then also recently jamming too, huh? Mm -hmm. Yep. This is my first wild ride on jamming a long-term homebrewed campaign of The Strange on stream. I've been loving it. Been fun. And where, what do people Google to find you there? Uh, for the jammed strange game, that is on the Scraticus Academy. So twitch.tv backslash Scraticus. Let's get back to this whimsy murder board, Jess. Yes, yes. That's, yes. that's what I want to hear about. Absolutely. I'm like bouncing up and down. <laughs> Me too. I guess my history with Invisible Sun, I had probably a super late start compared to most people who are very hardcore parkour about this game. <laughs> um, like you said before, we met at Gen Con the night at Monty Cook Games through Darcy, and I was just like, I don't have a cube. I want to know more about the cube and the people around it. What is this cube? Right? And I, I see this table and these awesome people and they're like, yeah, we, we run a paper for the notion at the Invisible Sun place. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Tell me more, please. Layers on layers. Yeah. Uh, mind blown. And never would have imagined I'd be able to guest on that. But as whimsy would have it, I was able to acquire a black cube. Let's see, maybe like right before the second Kickstarter for the reprint happened. Nice. Yeah. And um, I had so much preface. I had friends like Colin <laughs> and they were just like, once you delve in, you can't, you can't go back. There are secrets. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys have said secrets. No, Jess. Secrets like puzzles in the text, not just the lore. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. So, so I have to interrupt with my own confession, which is that I... Uh, secrets, man. I, I, I can't handle it. So I, I've actually dodged. I've actively avoided all of the... All the secrets places, just because I haven't had time to really dig in. But Montecook Games made it very clear from like the earliest Kickstarter before the game was released that the Black Cube would contain, yes, secrets in lore, and yes, also possibly perhaps physical secrets inside the box that are not immediately obvious. But then beyond that, there is beautiful script in mysterious ancient uh, runic writing all throughout all the materials everywhere. And that's, am I correct? That's the primary thing that we're talking about here, right? Yes. So people who have chosen to go headlong into the secret delving, um, they would describe this cipher as the entryway test. Mm. Yes. So should you choose to go down this path, this is the puzzle that you first want to unlock. Okay. Noted. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm, I'm just starting this coming Friday in just a few days in honor of my 40th birthday, by the way, I am kicking off my home game finally of Invisible Sun. And so we are having our first session this week and uh, I'm going to dangle this in front of my home group and see how how interested I can get them in all of this madness. Oh, that's awesome. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Oh man, the cipher itself. So like I said, I grabbed that cube and then I tried really hard. I spent a good 20 minutes with my partner, Ashley, just unboxing everything. And then we started looking at the books <laughs> and then I waited a whole day. And the next day we had some time and I just poured through the books. I flipped yes. through it. I'm like, images, art, oh my gosh, these pages. I'm sure there's something in this artwork. I'm sure there's something here, but oh, I see scribbles. I see scribbles. <laughs> Colin, I see scribbles. He's like, yes, you do. And, and that's only the very beginning. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. There is lots of handwriting. I'm I'm normally a very digital person. And then in this moment, I was like, nope, time to whip out paper and pencils <laughs> and maybe different colors. And I literally spent the entire night just bullheaded going through this this uh, cipher. And I, I knew. I knew I was late to the game. And there were people who had definitely cracked it a long time ago. But I was like, nope, I'm the stubborn one. And I must enjoy this for myself. You give me hope because... Knowing that you started late and managed to struggle through this, uh, at least initially on your own, makes me think I can do the same. Yeah, that's exciting. Absolutely, I definitely recommend. Like, just like Monty Cook said, if you are not jamming and you don't want it a spoiler for you, don't open that secrets envelope. Same thing with with these these puzzles. You can take it at your pace and when you're ready. And uh, honestly, from what I've found, I will go through these spurts of like, I want to know, I want to, how can I make it efficient? How can I, I've reached out to like linguistic friends and then <laughs> I'll let it die a little. And I want to dive right into the lore. Like it's, it's two sides of the same coin. It just keeps fueling your curiosity. So I'm a graphic designer among other things. And uh, I don't know, I know there's things hidden in images in there and I'm very excited to dig into that side of things too have you been poking at that as well or my goodness like i just sheerly overwhelmed by it i i tally counts for certain images and like the art work itself there's clearly something going on in almost every piece <laughs> and it's just mind-blowing and i don't want it spoiled for me so i kind of like i kind of pick and choose what i try to find with other people but it's like i'm not ready yeah, no, that's that's fair. I'm I'm particularly and this is not this is no spoilers with any knowledge. This is just, you know, me observing, but that whole mural that's scattered everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um I have grand plans for what I'm gonna do with a Saturday and that mural when I have time because Oh oh yes. So much I cannot there. wait for you to piece that mural <laughs> together. The first time I opened up the key, I'm like, I need to see this all together at once please what is going on there's so much <laughs> it's so good yeah some of my my earliest kidhood book memories um there was a book by a guy named graham base who i think was a possibly an english person it was a book called the 11th hour and it was a picture book for kids ostensibly 
And it was a story about a birthday party. There was an elephant whose name I think was Horace, who was having an 11th birthday party. And his cake goes missing at some point during the thing. And it's a mystery of like what happened to the cake. And then if you go back through, it's actually a super high level, fascinating mystery that can be solved by clues in the pictures. But there's also codes and ciphers and whatnot on every single page and historical references to things. And it's just a treasure. Um, also has a sealed envelope in the back. And that's one of my my earliest, you know. My earliest memories was just losing myself in that for like a summer. And I love that this <laughs> is inspiring exactly the same sort of wonder among an entire community of people. It makes me very happy. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And that is exact, exactly the same vibe that you get when you open up this game. It's almost unreal to call it a game, you know? So you are, you know, not one to brag about yourself, but you can read this stuff at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's You're so cool. It's been pretty interesting. I spent the weekend with uh, Secret of Silent Streets coming out, getting a little bit more. <laughs> and like, if you go into it, it only takes a little bit to warm up and you're like, oh, I'm reading this stuff. Whoa. Yeah, yeah that's next level. So very cool. Without giving spoilers away, do you have any vaguely worded hints that you might offer to anyone whose interest is piqued and wants to get started, but just doesn't even know where to begin? I would just have to say that the key is the key. <laughs> and that was the hint given to me by Colin. Wonderful. Who are some of the other folks that you've been working with? You mentioned Colin. Is there anyone else that uh, you've been chattering with about this or bouncing ideas off of? Yeah, Colin at Like It See It on Twitter. He's half of the Phantom Roll booth. He's definitely been a big guy to bounce off the ideas of. He, from the get-go, is like, Invisible Sun is exactly my aesthetic. It's what I want in a game. <laughs> I am just eating yeah. up this lore, and I love it. And I'm like, oh, stop. I'm so jealous. <laughs> and then when they picked up their cube at Gen Con, I was like, nope, I gotta have it. Um, I also have a friend, Alex Wolf, on Twitter, who kind of made it possible for this black cube to come into my possession. And they are equally a brilliant player and storyteller in terms of descriptions and creativity. And I will get to play in their directed campaign Ooh. starting pretty soon. So... Ah, thank you, Alex Wolf. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Super cool. Yeah, obviously we can't mention Invisible Sun on the internet without Grant Ellis. It's been a pleasure being able to see all his different Clearly. productions and ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are as infinite as the actuality. It's pretty amazing. Oh, for sure. No doubt. <laughs> Have you ever had a thing that you know that you're going to love, but you you just you just can't deal? So you just avoid it, even though you're being pulled back to it. That's that's what this corner of this whole thing is. And just talking with you recently has gotten me all excited to actually crack it open and dig into it. So I thank you. Absolutely. That's the beautiful part of community. You're able to thrive and build off each other's like ambitions and happinesses and enthusiasm. Yeah, it's the best. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Jess. I will uh, see you around uh, the Noosphere, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you for having me. Indeed. Good night. 
you didn't notice, my mind is very much on Invisible Sun right now. I am excited because at long last, my home game is starting up this week. For a variety of reasons, I was unable to start last year as I had intended. But the time is finally right, the players are ready, and we're going to be digging into Monty Cook's directed campaign. In coming episodes, I'll introduce you to the party. You know some of them already. Talbert, our maker, from episode 3. Molly, the painter, from episode 7, will be our new apostate, because sadly Aaron from episode 2 has moved out of state. (laughs) I'll also introduce a brief new segment with updates about what's happening in our campaign. I had a wonderful time GMing Invisible Sun online for Truth Bleeds at Twilight over the summer, but I cannot wait to play it at a table, face-to-face with all the riches of the Black Cube in support. Thank you again to Gamers Giving for their support of The Secret Cellar and of the gamers in their community. Visit them online at facebook.com gamersgiving. Audio design for The Secret Cellar is by Casey Ross. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games, with whom Zeros.Bar and Secret Cellar are unaffiliated. May you find freedom, my friends, from shadow. Thank you.